Well, good morning to everyone. Um, it's good to be here uh, for those that are visiting. Uh, my name is Norman. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross. Uh, I'm grateful to share with all of you from the Word. Um, it's been a little while. Um, and I'm grateful to be here to worship with you, to experience grace together as we are gathered to, to worship. Um, but uh, before we begin, um, and I guess this is both for uh, those online or those that will be listening later after you have uh, rested up from running. Before I begin, as we are experiencing the gospel of grace together in our fellowship, in our chats, in being together, I, I w- allow me a few minutes um, just to address my own need for grace. Um, I know a few of you... Uh, were worried about me at retreat. I need to apologize um, for my absence. I mean, I was there, uh, and I think you saw, you, you saw me physically, um, but I also wasn't really there. And I know many of you are, are still concerned for me. Um, I'm sorry that my actions um, caused all of you some pain. Uh, for those of that weren't there, just bear with me at this moment. This is something just for us as a church. We're, we're going through things together Uh, Some of you have told me that you felt like I was punishing you for something, and you didn't know what. Um, I wasn't. Uh, I'm sorry for for that. Uh, The the weekend, our retreat weekend, was probably one of the lowest points for me uh, personally uh, and vocationally as part of our church community. In many ways, I'm still going through some difficult thoughts, emotions, struggling to work through them all. Um, If I could undo my actions from that weekend, I would. But I can't. So here I am before you, um, supposed to share from the word, uh, but here I am also in need of grace. Uh, Not to excuse my actions. I mean, they were wrong. I need to acknowledge, at least before all of you, not just a bunch of you individually, that I have wronged you. Um, And the last thing I want to do is come up here, uh, preach a message of grace, sweep under the rug all the things that were going on that weekend, um, and not acknowledge it before you all. So I I come before you also as one in need of grace. So I'm sorry uh, for that weekend. We'll continue to work through that together. Bear with me. With that, uh, before we begin, would you join with me in prayer, as we ask the Spirit to enlighten our hearts and teach us from the scriptures this morning, would you pray with me? Gracious and loving Father, whose wondrous love will never let us go, would you hold us together? As we sit here one week, in the afterglow of Easter's resurrection, remind us this morning that even today, that work is continuing. You are still bringing life from death by the power of your Holy Spirit. We are not here for a a fortune cookie faith, nor are we proclaiming a false peace or empty promises of happiness. We come before you this morning with a mix of grief and hope Would you pull us ever closer to the promise you give us in your Son? 
just life through him, through the hardships we experience. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Would you follow along with me from John 21 as I read aloud? John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? No, that's okay. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, 
follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it? Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? This is a disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there were many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. A long text, um, but this text is the final scene. It's the final scene in the Gospel of John. Um, if you read, to the, if you have your Bibles, if you want to scroll back or well, push back, um, if you read the end of chapter 20, it almost seems like John could have wrapped up the story there. He could have wrapped up the Gospel at the end of chapter 20. But then he adds on this extra appendix of sorts, John invites us into the story one more time. And a lot of times when I read John, I I choose to read longer blocks like this because John conveys heart through narrative. John invites us to sit in the boat with the disciples through the long night. He invites us to see Peter stripped down to his underwear to do work. He's, he's, he's not wearing his outer garments. We're supposed to see him in the boat, sitting just a few feet in front of us. He invites us to hear with Peter when John whispers to him, Peter, it's the Lord. To feel that same joy and excitement around seeing a dear friend who we thought was gone, coming for an unexpected visit. What joy would we feel? He wants us to sit by the fire next to Peter as Jesus speaks to him. Because Jesus is speaking to Peter in this passage, but we're sitting there and he's also speaking to us. So this morning, would you sit with me around that charcoal fire where they had just finished breakfast? We're going to focus on Jesus' words to Peter. That's where we're going to focus this morning. I know it's a long passage, but we're going to focus there. We'll see other parts as well, but that's going to be our main text Jesus instructs Peter, and he instructs us this morning, how to live in light of the resurrection, in the afterglow of Easter. So the three, uh, the three points we're going to go today is, is one, that Jesus restores us. He restores us. Two, that Jesus calls us. He calls us to action. He doesn't just restore us for restoration. So he calls us. But then finally, we'll see that throughout all of this, Jesus sustains us. He nourishes us. So Jesus restores us. He calls us. And finally, that he sustains us. So Jesus restores us. Now, as we get to Jesus's words to Peter, we have to remember who Peter is. Um, Peter is a very polarizing figure in the Gospels. All of the Gospels record Peter specifically because he does some really good things, but he also does some not so good things. 
Every gospel spotlights Peter's confident assertions and his shameful denials. We find Peter rightly calling Jesus the Christ, but we also find him arguing with the other disciples about being the greatest. We even get Jesus calling him, get behind me, Satan. This passage falls right after the shadow of Peter's triple denial of Jesus. I don't doubt that as we enter into this passage from him jumping off the boat, from him swimming ashore, from him talking with Jesus in that interaction, I don't doubt that Peter is dealing with some form of shame here. I suspect that while he he goes fishing at the beginning of chapter 21 because he wanted to do something right. Fishing is something that he's good at. Maybe he was thinking, I may have failed Jesus, I may have denied him three times, but I'm still good for something. I can still fish. And we know that the, some, the other disciples went with him. The other disciples also scattered. Right? We, we know that from the Gospels. They, they, they left as well. But then we find in this passage that they, they caught nothing. The, the one thing that they're supposed to be good at, they couldn't even do that right. And it's at this low point that Jesus enters the scene. So as we come to the story, as we sit with Peter, before Jesus even comes to us, as we enter the story, the, the question is, just like Peter, what are the things we're trying to hide? What do we like to keep hidden from our community groups, from those around us, from our coworkers, from our family? What are the things that you even hide from yourself? You hide it with distractions, with busyness, with work. Maybe you attempt to hide your shame with, with strength. It's even at those low points that Jesus comes out to meet you. He calls out to you. I see you. I know you. Do you have any fish? Jesus is meeting them at their lowest there's an invitation here that acknowledges all of, all of who we are, all of who the disciples were. They just went through a pretty difficult ordeal. They felt a little bit of shame, maybe a lot of it. But Jesus sees all of you and invites you to come to him as you are. Come to Jesus as you are. You don't need to sort through skeletons in your closet before coming to Jesus. He comes to you. Jesus knows he meets you to begin, to begin restoration. That's Jesus' posture as he enters into this story. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Um, in other words, he's saying, do you love me more than these other disciples that are here? Certainly, Jesus is probing uh, Peter's pride, his shame with this question. Peter, do you still think you're the greatest? Because Peter thought so in the upper room, right? In the upper room, when the betrayal was revealed, he's like, if everyone else falls away, I'm not going to. I will stay, right? So Jesus is asking him, do you love me more than these other disciples that are here? And how Peter answers this question is tricky because it could put him with, with, at odds with the other disciples that certainly know his failures, knew his blunders. 
But we find that the Peter here at the campfire is not the same Peter from the upper room. Peter had gone through some soul searching. And here in this interaction, there's one more battle being fought in his heart. To the question about whether or not he's loving more than the other disciples, Peter initially says, yes, Lord. In other words, yes, I do love you more than the the other disciples. But at the same time in that answer, he rightly recognizes his limits. There's still some of his sinful pride mixed with a, a holy humility. Jesus continues to ask him over and over. Parts of the old Peter are clearly still in this interaction, at least in the beginning. But we also see that Peter is not appealing to his own strength. He's not appealing to his willpower to stand by Jesus no matter what. He appeals to Jesus' knowledge. And that final appeal from the third time pouring out of his grief and heart conviction, he says, you know everything. Jesus, you know. But notice in that quick progression, he no longer says yes, Lord, to being better. Jesus, in this short interaction that we have in chapter 21, had worn him down, had brought him to his limits, had convicted him with just a question. Peter's heart was convicted in And he was grieved. When we come to Jesus, a lot of times, a lot of times we think we have given up our pride. We think we are ready to come to Jesus. That we'll come out unscathed, so to speak. But Jesus always digs one deeper. Our own efforts to appear vulnerable will often not be enough. We need to let Jesus do it. Jesus digs deeper. We often tell our own stories of shame, of weakness, at the same time of holding on to some sort of lifeline. We want to claim some credit, right? But in this passage, Jesus is saying, let me, let me restore you. This question is an invitation. It's not a, he's not pushing it upon him. He's asking, let me restore you. And the question for us in this first point is, When we come to Jesus, will we lay down our pride in wanting to do it our way, to claim some sort of credit to ourselves? Will we lay that down and let Jesus restore us? Because he seeks to restore us. He comes to Peter. He comes to all the disciples at their lowest point to restore. We'll get to the fulfillment of that restoration in a bit, but we can move on to our, our second point that Jesus calls us. He calls us. We see here that Jesus does not merely restore just so he can see us restored. It's not restoration for re- just for its own sake. He calls us, he's restoring us to call us to action. Just as Peter denied three times, three times Jesus calls Peter to care for his sheep. Now I know if you've heard this passage before, you might have, um, I know I grew up hearing this passage preached and they start picking at words. Um, Modern commentators are almost unanimous in recognizing that the variations in wording in this passage are meant to mean the same thing. That John, when he's writing this passage, well, all of his gospels, he's not trying to make a, a particular point or a distinction between the different words for love 
there are different words for love in this passage. Um, he's not trying to make a distinction between the differences between lamb and sheep or to feed and to tend. He's putting, he's describing Jesus' command over and over so plain. If you love me, love my people. If you love me, love my people. If you're so sure that you love me, Peter or King's Cross, then love those who I care for. And I know for many of us coming to that message, it's so simple, it almost leaves us frustrated. Right? Like, that's it? This last episode after... This last episode, Jesus, you couldn't give us more? Can't you tell us, if we love you, shouldn't we do something about our society? If we love you, shouldn't we uh, address the moral decay around us? Couldn't you give us pointers, Jesus, on how to love difficult people? Maybe our slacking coworkers, maybe our difficult bosses. Maybe it's, maybe it's the, person in your, the, the, the person that annoys you in your CG. Maybe we would expect Jesus to say something along the lines of like spiritual disciplines, holy things, right? Or social engagement. Do we not expect or don't we want Jesus to say, if you love me, then, then read your Bible. If you love me, then pray. If you love me, go to church. If you love me, volunteer at a community center. But Jesus says simply, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. One commentator asked the question, why does Jesus say the same thing three times, almost as if this one thing will be enough? And he continues, perhaps because this one thing will be enough. Perhaps this one thing will be enough. Church, I'm, I'm still learning today that if we do not love if we do not feed, tend, feed, all of our efforts will be in vain. If we do not love, we will not know what to pray for. We will only pray for things that ultimately serve ourselves. If we do not love, our perfect attendance at church will count for nothing. For we'll be present without presence with other people. If we do not love, our acts of service to serve the community will ultimately become self-serving. Jesus says, if you love me, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. I know sometimes when we get to these passages about Peter, maybe some of us are like, oh, well, that's for leaders. That's for leaders. I'll say it's at the very least for leaders, but it's for everyone. For leaders, if, if we do not feed, tend, feed, if we do not love and spend time with God's people, if God's people never know our voice in our presence, they will not receive nor recognize our efforts to serve them. This is for leaders, but it's also for every single one of us. At this point in the story, Peter is just nobody. He's just one of the other disciples. It's for every disciple, everyone that was sitting around that fire, us included, as we enter this story. If you love Jesus, love his people. 
the best way we can show our love for Jesus is to love and care for those he has put to be with us. Don't say you love Jesus if you don't love his people. John would write later in his letters, anyone who does not love does not know God. And if anyone says, I know, I love God, like they're so proud that they're a Christian, but then he hates his brother, he's a liar. Does this call make liars of all of us? But Jesus says, follow me. This is how you follow me. This is how we answer Jesus' call. We care for his people. Not just some of the people. We care for all of God's people. There are some people that are more difficult. You might be one of them. I'm definitely one of them. We care for his people. This is the call to action. Follow me, Jesus says. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. On this point, on this call to action, in this passage, Jesus, um, there's one more interaction with Jesus. John adds this one anecdote right after this that I'm going to just highlight for a second because I think it's particularly applicable to us. Um, Because after Jesus gives Peter this call, Peter, perhaps feeling the weight of the call, do you see what happens in that interaction afterwards? He looks around and he sees John, the one that that was leaning. He sees John and he says to Jesus, what about him? What about him? And I um, just as an, an a side note, when you read the Gospel of John, look at the interaction between John and Peter. In some ways, it's hilarious. There's a, there's a section right before where they're, they're racing, and John adds in almost this petty thing like, but I was faster. Like there's, anyway, but in, the, in this section, we see that playing out again. Peter asks Jesus, what about, what about him? What about John? And I, I, I point that out because how many of us, I, I know I, how many of us have done that? We, we point at someone else when it comes to living out our faith, when it comes to following Jesus. You know, today, as much as we pride ourselves in being independent, you know, knowing our, doing our own thing, sometimes we base our obedience to follow Jesus, to follow him on what other people are doing. Right? If she's not doing it, you know, why should I? If he's not loving me, well, why should I love him? If they're not caring for people, if they're not serving, why should I care? Or why should I serve? The thing is that for many of us, we'll, we'll do anything to excuse ourselves from following this call to love. And it, it almost sneaks up on us, like, oh, well, they're not doing it, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> But then look how Jesus responds to Peter. He's like, what's that to you? What, what is it to you what he does? You follow me. What is it to you whether or not he does it or she does it? You follow me. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus is inviting us to love that isn't dependent on whether or not those around us are doing it. It'd be nice, right? It's, it's encouraging. But it's not dependent. His call is not dependent on him, on the Johns around us. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's a, it's a simple call. 
almost frustratingly simple. But it's also a very difficult one. People are not easy to love. If we're honest with ourselves, we're, we're not easy to love. It's hard. So at the end of this, the, this middle point, if you're tracking with me, I want to ask you, how is the Spirit convicting you? You could pull out a pencil if you want, if you want to scribble it somewhere, if you want to type it in your notepad. You're welcome to. But how is the Spirit convicting you? When or where have you withheld your love? Whether it's because someone else is not doing it, or whether you wanted to care for something else first, or we rationalize our disobedience. Think about it. How is the Spirit convicting you? Write it down if you don't mentally write it down. No, no, share it with someone. Save it to share with your CG. How is the Spirit convicting you? We get to our last point that He sustains us at the table.、Um, whatever may have gone through your mind, whatever you may have written down, the call to love is difficult. And our natural tendency when we're given a, a difficult task is to, we automatically think it's up to us.、Um, we might know that we're not supposed to think that way for those of us that have been in church long enough to, to know how to counter that message. But our natural tendency is to, is to flip this call to love. And we start to think that if we, if we don't love people, then Jesus won't love us. It's not true, but that's how, we, that's how we operate. But look at this passage, even in this final snapshot of Jesus' engagement with his disciples, that his love, his love for them, his acceptance of them, it actually happens first. It's what enables, it sustains his followers to heed the call that he gives them. Our call to action to love is founded upon his love. Notice Jesus' invitation to them at the breakfast.、Um, meals in, in those days, in some ways today as well, but even heavier culturally,、um, meals convey a radical acceptance. You don't eat with just anybody. Jesus invites them to eat with him. Come and have breakfast. It almost sounds almost too common. He, he invites them, just ha- have breakfast with me. And then Jesus serves them bread and fish. What happen- what's happening here is that Jesus is sustaining them physically, but also spiritually for the work ahead. Because if we attempt to love out of our own strength, maybe you've already tried to do this, you've worn yourself out. Every time we engage in the good work of love, we should learn from this passage. Jesus' repeated question Do you love me? Jesus says. When we engage in this work, we should continue to ask because we need to remind ourselves do, you, do we love Jesus? We ground our service in our service to Him, in our love for Him. Not just our love for Him, but more importantly, His love displayed for us. Jesus' love to us, His acceptance of us, it's not a reward. 
It's not a reward for our good efforts. We don't earn it. In the same way, we don't disqualify ourselves if we don't love enough, if we don't love perfectly. We don't disqualify ourselves from his love because of our lack. Feeding, intending, this call that we have is demonstrated for us first. Love is provided to nourish us, to love others for life. Surely this meal on the Sea of Tiberias, uh, Sea of Galilee, same sea, um, surely this meal would have brought them back to their last meal together as the disciples in the upper room. When Jesus told them, they didn't understand it at the time, but now they probably did. When they didn't understand about the cross, where Jesus told them that his love was going to be displayed there. It is Jesus' love for us, his acceptance of us, displayed first, inviting us to breakfast that nourishes us so that we can love others. Ground yourself in him. This call, to be, this call to love others would be unbearable. We couldn't maintain it without him. He sustains us. He sustains us every week. We remember that he sustains us every week when we come to this table. For on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this, all of you, also in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death and his coming again. That is our hope. We can continue to love because we know our love will be complete in his love for us and for the world.